of being situationally aware is to process as much relevant data as possible consciously so that you're not necessarily waiting for your instincts to give you a nudge because that may not happen because your, your subconscious doesn't know what it's looking for. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Systema, and this is Systema for Life. Terry, welcome to the show. Thanks, mate. Appreciate the invite. Yeah, it's a joy to have you on here, mate. It's a, it's a, you're a phenomenal speaker, and you have uh, lots of interest uh, for our listeners to hear about, so I've been looking forward to it for a little while. Yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? Personal safety. I think it doesn't matter what your background is or what your skill set might be, the more you know. Yeah. The better you are a position to be able to stop something horrible happening. Yeah. So yeah, it's been something that's it's close to my heart, has been for a lot of years. Well, yeah. So do you want to start by telling folks a little bit about yourself and what else we share share in common besides being British expatriates and having a daughter named Cora? So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Other than those two freaky coincidences. Yeah. So yeah, I've been in the States since ninety six, but I served with the Royal Marine Commandos from ninety one to ninety five. Before that I lived in Norfolk in England. I did some time in London. I've been all over the shop, really, but my interest in body language began as a kid. I was brought up by an old man who had a tendency to fly off the handle. It, it wasn't drink-related. It wasn't drug-related. He just had a tendency to have a bad temper, and it usually ended up fired in my direction. So gotcha. although at the time I didn't appreciate it the way I do now, it was one of those experiences that opened me up to the necessity of paying attention, to being yeah. in tune to what's going on. And then when I got into the military, I had some experiences there, as you as you can imagine. But I also managed to get some body language and human behavior training while I was in, right towards the end of my career. Mm. When I came out, although I taught combatives, Muay Thai kickboxing, edge weapons, tactical firearms once I got to the U.S., yeah. there was always an element of how to avoid it. Yeah. So that's kind of where body language at least started because I had some groups coming in that said, listen, we've got some older members of our group that aren't necessarily going to want to learn how to fight, mm. but can you teach us how to how to witness, how to see it coming far enough away to be able to avoid it? And I was like, oh, yeah, 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 I've got some of that because I've been teaching that portion for years. And then that led to other elements of body language once people really realized how much there is to it. Yeah. And it took off from there. And I've been teaching body language now professionally for about 10 years. Well, so so you mentioned um, that you got some tra- some actual training in the military during uh, your career as a commando. Is that a common thing? Do, does everybody who goes into like command in a commando study the body language stuff, or was that just a certain tack that you took? It, no, I just I happened to be lucky. I was in the right place at the right time. Somebody came in to the room, one of the stripies said, there's a course going on. I was already in London. I was working in the careers office at the time. Yeah. And guys like, nobody here really wants to do it. I've got to be honest, maybe my interest in it because of my upbringing fueled the curiosity but mm. nobody else wanted it they're like we've got this course going on down the road that we know of does anyone want it and of course i'm hopping up and down like a madman going i'll oh, get some of that <laughs> i was the only one that wanted it nobody else but no it's not necessarily common yeah. i don't know if they that's changed of course it's been a long time since i was in but this was just one of those one-offs the right place at the right time and mm. then once i got in and started seeing you know formal instruction in body language versus what i was brought up learning the hard way mm. I, I realized i loved it there's mm. so much to be learned with the outward manifestation of internal thoughts and emotions echoed yeah. through our body language so i loved it and it's always been a curiosity and always been something i've been interested in 
Oh. Yeah, I'm reminded a little bit of, um, uh, I think it's Joe Navarro, the former FBI negotiator. He got pretty famous for writing it, but I think it's called something like What Everybody's Body Is Saying or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like the, yeah. know, the subtitle. And um, I think he had, a, he had a similar kind of thing. I think he had, um, in his family, I think his thing was that he moved as an immigrant, I think, to the States and just had some communication problems and stuff and was observing body language primarily not to get into fights with local kids and like uh, to mm-hmm. communicate, you know, with uh, people outside of his um, immediate vicinity and then it when he went through fbi training he had a particular aptitude for it and then ended up like in a hostage negotiation and stuff like that because he was just really good at uh, or uh, interrogation right because he could read those cues mm-hmm. and make it work so it's interesting how that, that seems to be like if you have a family experience early on yeah. that attunes you to the true value of it then you're more likely yeah. to value it and then more likely to you know see what it is I, I, it's like priming effect i think they call that in psychology where mm-hmm. you're ready to see something because you can see what it's useful whereas some people yeah. I, I find you when you when we t- teach this kind of thing i've taught some self-defense workshops where I open up with situational awareness and some some people get it right away and they're really watching and other people are like yeah 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 when do I get to punch him in the face you know <laughs> when does the, when does the ball <laughs> twisting happen you know like, they want to skip straight to that and not the stuff that's actually going to save your life 99% of the time you know if well, mm-hmm. I always say if you've got into a situation where you have to use your physical defense skills you've already failed you on at least failed. 12 levels yes. yeah yeah you've missed uh-huh. at least 20 things that probably could have got you out of there so yeah 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 it's a spe- have you found that with with yourself with speaking to groups as well that they're even within a group there'll be variants and how people how enthusiastic people are for it yeah. yeah definitely your personal history plays a big part in that what have you what have your experiences been to date have mm-hmm. you ended up in a ruckus you know you know every other week well great you're gonna be looking for different signals to everybody else I did find when I was teaching Muay Thai and some of that hand-to-hand stuff that, you know, everybody wants to be a weekend warrior. Everybody wants to show up and they want to learn how to, you know, take names and kick ass, which is great. Mm. You should have those skills as well. Mm. But the only fight you can ever guarantee winning, whether it was with your hands or with a firearm, is the one you weren't there for when it went on. You know, you've you've got to use your smarts first to avoid it. And that's always been something that I've advocated for. And I had a lot of female clients as well as males. And you know, I hate to cast aspersions on the men, but the women showed up with no egos. Mm. They wanted to learn, but they wanted to learn everything. And they were big proponents oftentimes for not getting mixed up in something. It was yeah. with the guys, it tended to be, and I don't know if you found this as well, it tended to be until they get hurt, until mm. they realize how easy it is to get hurt. And they're like, well, man, I thought I was a hard case. And now suddenly I'm on the ground and this hurts and that hurts. Yeah, It has to be put in that kind of perspective before they'll go, okay, most of the time i need to avoid this if i can yeah. women i think start out that way and i'm like no if i can avoid having a fight then bloody right i'm going to steer well clear what what can you teach me that will stop that from happening yeah now as we get a little older mm. and getting punched in the face gets old really quick yeah we're like yeah yeah i'm not fighting i mean i saw it coming a mile away i'm going the other way mate yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's funny. Yeah, I'm almost reminded of um, kids learning to drive in a way. Do you know what I mean? Because I remember when I was like 17 in England, you know, taking the dreaded driving test in the UK, which is approximately for our American listeners about 4,000 times harder than the American one. Which you can you can really pick up with a couple of coupons off a cereal packet here. You know, you just show up. They can they confirm that you're not blind, and then they watch you start yeah. and stop a car, and they're like, "There you go, have a license, right?" But we've got it's like, like reverse parallel park it between stop two you cars. Going, stop you going, sit. I know. Yeah. I said, I I was shiting myself the first time I came over here and tried to do 
trick. It was it was amazing. It was brilliant. It was so easy. But yeah, in England, it's quite hard, right? And people habitually mm-hmm. don't pass their first time. Often they'll have a whole bunch of lessons and pass on their second yep. or even third something. And um, but I'm reminded when, when we all started driving, whether it's like 17, 18, 19, it's a bit. It's a couple of years later uh, in the UK, right, than it is in America. You've always got that kid who has a, a shake up experience. You know, he has a crash or something within the first couple of years, and then he's in my experience when I've seen them have been really really careful but if you make mm-hmm. it to like 25 and you've never had a crash you think you're invincible do you know what I mean <laughs> drive like a maniac it's kind of like that with martial arts if you manage to go through your whole life just uh-huh. point sparring or you know fighting in yes. a very restricted environment where the build up was very clear and you were announced on your way to the ring and you both came in there's no friends there's no you know random objects there's nothing to bounce people off if you know yep. exactly the parameters of the fight and it's set up there either as a competition as a professional thing or it's just like a monkey fight um then you get get this false idea of how dangerous a real fight can be right but the first time you get jumped first time the fight starts by somebody hitting you in the back of the head right or or somebody pulls a knife in the middle of it and you're like oh crap everything just changed immediately everything that's going to be enough to shake you up at least it was in my experience like years of training and then you know somebody pulls a knife and i'm like i panicked to the extent that everything was Mm -hmm. out the window and when i escaped that situation i was like wow i survived that and what i really need is more survival skills not more knife disarms you know it's like i need a better better set of skills to spot that guy and know that he was armed actually even before he pulled it i I got into a wrestling match with a guy who had a knife and didn't know he had one until halfway through the fight when he started losing you know so it's um it's it's very key so so in sistema interestingly i mean like i say i trained other martial arts before sistema and then came to this one and it's kind of really built into the whole system and we talk about you know distance and proxemics and we do exercises where you watch people to see if you can see if the way they walk has changed because they're carrying a firearm or or a knife or something like that um and it's really kind of baked into the whole system and i think it's partly because it comes from this special forces and stroke police military martial art kind of background thing and that's the way these guys were changed and trained and they brought it out and then trained us on this kind of thing um but in other arts i never really experienced that it's um so i, I think it's a it's a missing piece for a lot of martial artists right and some if yeah. they've come from other fields could really benefit from this kind of training quite apart from anything physical they can do you know take courses like mm-hmm. yours um, and kind of fill that gap you know you can be a great mma fighter or a great kickboxer or you mm-hmm. know whatever judoka or whatever your style is and if you haven't got these skills then everything you'll have your hammer and everything will look like a nail you think like oh it's, yes. this is a potential verbal conflict i think i should grab him and throw him over my hip you know or this is a verbal (laughs) conflict i should lean back and kick him in the head and see if i can clinch it's Mm -hmm. like you you do what you're trained to do right um and if what you're trained to do is spot and avoid violence you'll do that and if what you're trained to do is wade in fist flying then you'll do that right with whatever repercussions come so do do you feel like there's like a missed capacity for it sometimes for that kind of training absolutely i think it becomes a crutch and that becomes the shortest distance between two points i feel like i can and then fill in the blank and if it's somebody carrying a firearm as a tool for self-defense that gives them a false sense of security as well yeah most of the time you know you have all these other skills and they're in your toolbox and you should be able to pull them out as needed Mm. but the primary one the one that gets you ahead of the curve if it's possible because let's face it we don't set the timeline the bad guys do yeah you know like you alluded punched in the back of the head Mm. Yep, how'd it happen? Broken bottle in the middle of a bar fight. Mm. It's in my face. Great, know what to do with it in a situation where there's no other choices. But 
if you can identify where this is going in time to extricate, pull your loved ones or your friends out of the way and say, listen, dude, this is not worth it. Or come on, love, we're out of here. Mm. That is far superior. And the yeah. only way to guarantee that you stay in one piece, mm. the guy pulled the bottle on me. I, yes, I broke his arm. Yes, I managed to disarm him and came out on top. Literally, but, well, it sounds like um, stuff. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, yeah. you know, I know it was just as likely I ended up with a bottle stuck in my face and who knows what, what else. So, you know, even though I came away from that going, Oh, thank God I had the skills at that exact moment. And they were so ingrained. I didn't think about it. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to grab the wrist. I'm going to pull the lock. I'm going to, it was, there was a bottle. I grabbed the wrist. The Mm. arm was broken. It was done. And that, that kind of training is great. But what about the same level of training to identify it as soon as possible? Yep. Now, of course, you know, every time you go into a bar, you take your life in your own hands as far as I'm concerned. But that's the old man in me speaking. Yeah. But it's out on the streets, the same thing. And I think if people have one skill set and only one skill set, you're right. That's where they go to. That's their immediate, okay, you gobbed off. Let's get it on. Yeah. You don't know what that guy's taken that morning or what he's got on him. Yeah. Why? Why engage? But seeing it coming as soon as possible, I think that's absolute gold. And it helps everybody, even those that don't have the skills necessarily to fight. They can use their cunning and their predictive, you know, observation skills to be able to avoid it. Mm. They don't. So I think you go to whatever seems the most appropriate and easiest for you to do. And sometimes that's fighting for some people and Mm. for the smart ones with a few years under the belt. Sometimes it's like, no, if I can avoid it, I'm out of here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I mean, so to, to a certain extent, you're preaching to the choir, right? I'm sold. Oh, no, on I'm sorry. No, 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 not all, no, no. I'm sold. No, and there probably a good number of people listening to this are probably sold on the idea that uh, situational awareness and being able to uh, to be aware of people is a critical skill. But let's say, for the sake of argument, we're talking to somebody who's not yet sold, right? Um, uh, and how is it that? we're not already aware enough, right? We've already got these kind of instincts of our own, right? Aren't they sufficient just to, to let without training? We've got eyeballs, we've got ears. Like, okay. shouldn't we be able to detect this stuff without specific training? Where do most people start as a blank slate? As a blank slate, everything we we view in life is filtered through the lens of our previous experiences. Right. So if you've never had an instance where you've been attacked, punched in the back of the head, had a mm. bottle, found a knife in the middle of a scrap, you don't necessarily have anything to base on what you're scanning. Hmm. We all know at an instinctive level, if we're in a car somewhere, going somewhere, and suddenly there's a truck coming out of the, out of the side at a T-junction, chances are your subconscious is going to give you the warning. Boom, hmm. we're up. We know. We've got to stop. We've got to get out of its way. Hmm. It's not the same thing when you're walking down the street and someone's coming towards you. If you've never seen someone approaching in a certain way hmm. to know that, hold on a minute, the right hand's missing. Yeah. He's on the balls of his feet. He's avoided eye contact, but he's still oriented towards. You've got all these signals Mm. that you might not know because you don't have any experience to base it on. Mm. So for those that might think, well, I'll probably see it coming. Most people are a lot less attentive than they think they are. Mm. We look at a lot day Mm. in and day out. But what do we really see? Mm. And time and time again, when I'm training corporate groups, hospital staff, whomever's in the room, Mm. I'll ask them once they get settled and they sit in their seats. I'm like, okay, everyone just close your eyes for a second. Tell me how many exits are there out of the room. Mm. Tell me what was on the back seat of the car park next to you in the parking lot when you got here today. Mm -hmm. You know, run through a series of these questions. They can't answer. Mm. And after I've gone through a few of those, I'll ask, 
Okay, now describe me. Don't open your eyes. Talk, and you should hear some of the things people will say. I go from being six foot five to five foot five with <laughs> blonde hair to no hair, and I'm like, listen, I'll take that six foot five description. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> you know, being a short ass, but people they're not consciously assessing. It's stuff that gets processed subconsciously rather than consciously, and the point of being situationally aware is to mm. process as much relevant data as possible consciously mm. so that you're not necessarily waiting for your instincts to give you a nudge because that may not happen right. because your, your subconscious doesn't know what it's looking for. Hi folks, Glenn here. As Systema for Life approaches its 100th episode, I'd like to take a minute to thank everyone who has contributed to the show, all our listeners, and to everyone who's offered requests, encouragement, and feedback along the way. I also need to ask a quick favor. We have already enjoyed two years of high-quality interviews, insights, and ideas on Systema for Life. We'd like to keep the show going, and we want to keep it open to all, but we need your help to do it. It takes time, effort, and more than little cash to produce a podcast, more than two grand a year at current hosting and production rates. We have no paid advertising, and we do it all off our own backs with help from listeners and generous supporters like you. So if you're a fan of Systema for Life and you get real value from the ideas and the conversations we create, then please take a few minutes now to subscribe at www.ncsystema.com support. Support at whatever level you feel like you can afford. Even $3 or $5 a month is a help. Think of it as buying us a beer or a cup of coffee once a month for our troubles. So visit ncsystema.com support and use the buttons on the page to select your preferred monthly or annual support level. You'll receive a confirmation on sign-up, and you can cancel at any time. And isn't it the case as well that even if you have the skills, if you're trying to kind of multitask with your brain and, and your attention is elsewhere, you're almost asking for trouble, right? I mean, uh, uh, the one that we often teach in the self-defense courses is if you're on your iPhone looking at Google Maps walking down the street, you, you've lost all attempts at situational awareness, right? Your radar is down and it's all in one yep. place. Uh, are there other things that people do in, in order to kind of sabotage themselves in this way? What, what's, what are the biggest pitfalls that you see people doing? Well, let's not let go of that cell phone just yet. Okay. <laughs> because, well, that's the one single biggest distraction because even if we're not actually on it, many of the chemicals and the neurotransmitters in our head that would normally in years past, and years past, I mean back when we were hunter-gatherers, hmm. that would help guide us to be attentive in environments where we were dealing with big cats or you know rival clans from over the hill that wanted our stuff hmm. are now being hijacked by a phone. So even though your phone isn't necessarily in your hand, every time it beeps, burps, farts, vibrates, whatever. That's <laughs> us being hijacked. We're, we're taken to our phone and we're not scanning nearly as much. Mm. And I think the other problem we run into a lot is people are so preoccupied with their day-to-day. -day. We all have one million things we've got to do in any given day. Mm. We leave the house. We're thinking about a thousand of them. That's enough to fill up the, the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that really makes you you. And that's a distraction in and of itself. Mm. It's like we've... We've gotten so far away from theoretically having to be concerned with being safe in that hunter-gatherer environment, we no longer scan at all, and all the chemicals are, are hijacked for other things. It's so we have to we have to flip it. We have to mm. say, okay, I'm leaving the house, and I've got an objective. It's go to the store. It's go to work. It's go to wherever. But between here and there, I need to make a priority of being tuned in in the moment. Mm. It's actually really good, and I know you probably do this as well. 
I didn't until I got a little older start getting into meditation and finding a way to kind of calm everything down sure. and become singular and in, in the moment. I'm mm. here. But that is one of the things we should do when we're out and about. Yeah. It's not allow ourselves to be in a position where we have a thousand things going on because that's the day that something bad's going to happen. Yeah. It also, interestingly, we had a, we recently had a course with um friend of mine, an instructor, Martin Wheeler, who, uh, a fellow Brit again, um, who lives uh, out on the West Coast and co-runs a uh, dojo with Higan Machado, the uh, famous Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. And he did a four-day seminar here, and, and we did it out in the woods here at Falls Lake so we could stay socially distant and all that. And it was, um, and it was brilliant. And one of the things that he was working on was um, kind of seeing more of your surroundings, even if there's one person coming towards you, right, with a knife in this case, we were practicing defending against, uh, you know, knife attacks and slashes and people trying to surprise you with one, um, that if you're distracted in any way, including thinking about yourself and what you're going to do next, right, and, and like yes. right through things in your mind, that it not only um, cuts down the extent of things you can see, but it kind of removes frames from the video cam camera image that you're seeing mm -hmm. so that he seems to approach faster and you, you have less information to act on. So even if it comes down to physically having to move and dodge or move out of range or get hold of an arm or something like that, if you can make your vision more diffuse and you can kind of see mm -hmm. him within a larger environment, then you pick up on the first little cue of him moving his hip, which suggests that yes. he's going to move his shoulder and then the knife comes forward. And it seems like he moves in slow motion compared to the way that most people see them. Um, so that kind of distraction can also make you hurried, right? Which can get you into yeah. trouble as well it can make you hasty and you know you, you'd be unable for example if you saw somebody and they surprised you at the last minute but you were close enough to your car to get in you're probably not going to get the key in the lock right because you'll be hurried about yep. the whole thing and you know or you'll make kind of clumsy motions that you could hurt yourself trying to run away you know and these kinds of things yep. so it's so it's critical for a lot of reasons i think to maintain this almost meditative state while you're walking mm -hmm. around right not just to yes. see potential bad guys but just so you don't hurt yourself or if you can react when it actually happens as well yeah, because I think when you start going down a road of thinking you have a move as an answer to what you've seen hmm. and you've set yourself off on one particular sort of journey, hmm. if the other person does anything that deviates outside of what you've projected in your own mind, you're done. Yeah. You know, because I mean, we, you know, both know knives don't, you know, the, it's lovely when they slash. That's mm. great. But it's more likely it's going to be a bloody sewing machine going nine to the dozen, low yeah. to the abdomen or high to the neck. Mm. If you've already said to yourself, well, he goes low, I'm mm. doing this. Right. By the time you notice the knife's gone up because of mm. that movement and the time it takes for the visual process to go through the screen, it's done. Yeah. You're getting knifed. Mm. So you're right. You have to be in this constant relaxed state as relaxed as you can be sure. to allow your brain to do all the things it's capable of doing as long as you aren't already on a prescribed thought response or plan mm. that's where some of the it's one of the things that i talk a lot about in the program before we even get to the body language of schemata and schemas where we have a preconceived idea about it can be ourselves it can be the people we meet it can be environments that we're in and really essentially it's like a blueprint that you put over a situation and that blueprint is built from all of the experiences you've had to date, mm. including if you've practiced certain knife drills. Okay, I expect him to do X when he moves this way. But then mm. suddenly this guy's had no training and all he knows is the other. Yeah. And you don't see it coming because you've already projected what you think is going to happen mm. rather than staying in the moment. Mm. And it's being able to overlay a blank blueprint, so to speak, so that your subconscious can guide more of your activity or more of your response 
when the action starts, whatever the action is. Right. And you know, you know, with drills, I mean, it's a lot, when you box, okay, I've got a jab, cross, left hook, boom, there's hmm. my combination. Well, what if he's not there when you throw the hook? Yeah. He usually isn't, in my experience. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Unfortunately. Nobody stands around to get the hook. I can't understand what, why they're moving so much. Hmm. But, but they don't. You hmm. have this preconceived idea, I'm going to throw this, this, and this, it's going to be gold. Well, mm. not not when he's not there, or he's a wrestler, and he goes like, well, you know, or he just lifts his elbow up like that and just yeah, and does a nice wedge block, yeah. and you're on the elbow with your knuckles. And you're like, end of the fight, I broke my hand. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, it's definitely a, a thing where the more you can stay centered in that moment, whatever the moment is, the greater the likelihood you see it coming far enough ahead. And you know how many times we've heard witnesses or victims alike who say, oh, it happened so quick, it came mm. out of nowhere. And yes, in some cases, it does happen quickly and come out of nowhere but more likely than not it didn't happen in a vacuum yeah it was it was already in motion minutes hours days weeks ahead of time mm. but that individual it's just that our ability to respond is often commensurate to the amount of attention we were paying to what's going on around us at the time the event began to unfold right on yeah so, so that's an interesting point you make that um you know often this sort of sudden violence and we, we you know we're we're paring it down to kind of quick physical nasty interactions here but you could extrapolate this obviously out to like less completely physically violent actions straight away things like robbery mm -hmm. or purse snatching you know pickpockets stuff like that the, the same kind of principles yep. of awareness will help even versus Absolutely. lesser situations right so you don't have to be facing down a crazed knife man or broken bottle to for this stuff to be useful um but it's it's true though isn't it that um that people that do this for a living you know they, they they have tactics. They they prefer to ambush, you know, like a big cat. You know, you wouldn't see a leopard going for like, oh, that's the largest wildebeest I can see. I think I'll go for that one that looks like it can kick me in the neck. You know, it, uh -huh. they wait until they're separated out, even though it's a massive, you know, finely evolved killing machine with knives for fingers. It still goes for the baby one that's limping and behind yep. everybody else. Because first and foremost, it doesn't want to get injured. It doesn't want to get caught. Yep. And it doesn't want to get ganged up on by everybody else. And to an extent, the bad guys do the same thing, right? They kind of, they assess us in some way. Can you say a little bit more about um, how bad guys choose their victims? Is that part of kind of your training as well? Like, Oh, yeah. Because yep. let's face it, we got to know ourselves, but we also got to know our enemy. Hmm. And for most of the time, when someone is going through the process of selecting and stalking, and we may as well just call it what it is, because that's what it is. Whether somebody mm. approaches to rob you for your purse, your car keys, or to grab you, it, there's still a stalking element to it. Mm. They're looking for the person that's most likely going to be distracted. Yeah, And it doesn't necessarily mean you've got to be on your cell phone. Just someone doesn't look like they're physically tuned in at the time mm. if they feel through perception that they're bigger than you and can probably win because of size back mm. to the lions out in the bush you know mm. yeah they're going to pick the weakest one let's make it as easy as possible mm -hmm. if they outnumber you like we've got clips of people who are walking through an environment and they get mugged not because they necessarily looked weak they actually didn't but mm. because they were outnumbered by the attackers mm -hmm. and then they have then we they use the environment so if they don't think they can get to you one-on-one, -on -one, face to face. They'll hide and use something within the environment that allows the ambush to take place from close proximity, use violence of action to overcome you by shock and surprise. Mm. By the time you figure out what's going on, the fight's already over. Mm. So oftentimes, I tell people this a lot, when you go out in groups of friends, there's this inherent sense of security. We mm. feel good in our little groups. Sure. But at some point during the course of the evening, presumably, you're going to part company. You're going your way, they're going theirs. Well, if you've been pinged during the evening mm. and now you separate from the group, 
you have done exactly what happens in the wild. Yeah. You've separated from the group, and now your risk has grown exponentially. Mm. I think a lot of times with people, when it comes to when you talk about personal safety, being aware, keeping yourself safe, there's this thing that they've got to be all in. And then they're all in until they get tired and then they get fatigued and they stop scanning. Hmm. I like to think of awareness more like a, a dial on a wall. The, those old style thermostats with the serrated edges that you can dial up mm -hmm. to bring your temperature up or in this case your awareness and down when it's not necessary. Well, if you're in your group, you can take it down to a low setting. Mm. You know, what I, I like to call about 60 degrees. The mm. moment you separate from the group, let's take that up to about a 70. You're not all the way in. You're not paranoid. That doesn't help anything. Mm. But you've taken your awareness up. That way you can kind of control inside your head how much awareness yeah. from one location and one environment to the next. Having this sense of control stops you theoretically and hopefully from reaching a point where you're so fatigued you no longer are attentive all the time. Mm. There's a lot of people that blow hot and cold. They're either all in and it's total paranoia or they're all out because they're tired and they stop looking. Mm. We need that really happy medium with some ups for certain environments where we're more attentive mm. and a little lower other times. But we kind of, it evens out. Yeah. And then when you have that sense of control over it, paranoia, I found, goes down. Mm. We feel like we're in control. Mm. And if you also know, can now add, okay, within this environment, I'm most likely to be targeted because I look distracted or perhaps weaker than the person that might be looking at me or I might be outnumbered. Awareness is up, but so is your environmental awareness as well. So mm. that you're looking for those zones where somebody might ambush you or jump from or other, otherwise attack in some way. To all our listeners and Systema fans around the world, NC Sistema have moved all of our regular classes online, live streaming group classes via Zoom most days at 6.30pm US Eastern Standard Time, plus daytime classes on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Sundays. Please consider this an open invitation for you and your students to join us for the duration of COVID, to come together online, and to keep our skills and our groups alive. Payment is on a sliding scale relative to where you're at and what you can afford. Visit ncsystema.com online to sign up today. Join us. Mm, nice. Yeah, I've, I've heard that um, one of my uh, instructors, Konstantin Komarov, once referred to this as tentacles. He's like, you know, once you're, if you're out walking on your own in the street, you've got to let your tentacles go as far out as possible. You want feelers and antennae in all directions, right? But if you're in a group That's of nice. friends and you're in an urban area, you don't want everyone stepping on your tentacles, right? <laughs> so you just pull them in and you just <laughs> walk around like that way. So I thought that was a really nice little analogy for that one too. It's true because... There is a certain, I mean, it's not just the physical safety numbers, but we actually psychologically, right, we feel reassured when we're around other people. They soothe us. It's kind of like the meerkat effect, right? If you've got five yep. friends, at least one of them is probably looking. You know, <laughs> unless everybody's plastered. So let's just leave stagnites out of this because that's probably just not a good situation. Not, not a good example for everybody, is right? It's, uh -huh. Surprised more than don't get jumped. I was, I was at a couple of stag weekends in Barcelona before, and I think there are actually gangs of criminals in Barcelona now because there were so many pre-COVID days, like guys from England that would fly over there for stag weekends, all weekenders, mm -hmm. that they would 
actually get targeted by groups of pickpockets, muggers, and you know people who would like present themselves and like some would go to the front, some would move in with a pincer movement behind them, then nick mm-hmm. half their stuff, and they wake up in the morning, passport's gone, you know, wallet's gone, everything's gone. <laughs> They're like, it's the worst stack weekend ever. <laughs> Just uh, yeah, so it's an interesting thing. It's like you, you need that ability, but it's true. I think some people there's a certain self consciousness to this, right? They don't want to go over that edge and look like they're crazy preppers who are just looking for trouble all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And even that mindset can make them afraid of looking foolish or or not wanting to be kind of too jumpy. Maybe they're fairly anxious people already and they don't want to heighten their own awareness. So they'd almost rather kind of plant their head in the sand and or look at their yes. phone and pretend that the violence doesn't exist, right? Or the threat doesn't exist, then mm-hmm. address it face on. How do you draw people out like that when you meet them in training? think if somebody knows what it is they're supposed to be looking for mm. then there's no necessary there's no reason to promote a fear-based thought process sure. we fear typically we fear what we don't know or we don't understand and the moment you make it clearly identifiable mm. you're looking for this in this environment at this time of day mm. because of this yeah okay well that wasn't so hard mm. it's this sense that we could be attacked at any moment by the boogeyman and i can't possibly predict where it's coming from Mm. that's where i think most anxiety comes from most people Mm. but if you suddenly if you take that out of it and i I can't remember who the quote was from now but we're unwilling that the quote is we're unwilling to attribute genius to other fellow human beings except criminals Mm. because we want to feel like it's out of our control and we can't possibly predict and the moment you say you can Mm. i feel it it lowers your anxiety a little bit. Now I do Mm. have people come in, but most of the time those that are most anxious are those that have had something happen to them before. Mm. Even though I approach teaching dirt as with as much alleviation of the stress and the fear as possible, because I don't think it, it doesn't help anything if we're in that mindset. Some people arrive and they're already anxious. Like, okay, Mm. yes, you had one incident at one time and you certainly don't want to repeat it but being fearful of something that hasn't yet happened in, you know, in this new context mm. doesn't help you. Mm. So let's look at what concrete steps you can take in terms of your awareness and looking at your environment a little differently and then decoding the people you see and take the mystery out of it. Because mm. most criminals are opportunistic. They're not criminal geniuses or masterminds. They are just cunning. Mm. So putting it in a in a way that allows them to feel like they have control mm. they can observe their environment differently and the people in it means that some of that mystery goes away and as soon as we start lifting the veil on this shit people are like i got this and cool. it's amazing to watch you know audiences of all ages you know mm. from little old ladies to big you know six six doormen go oh yeah i got this right. and not necessarily relying on size and not thinking of oh, just because i'm small over here with the old lady section that she's not capable of seeing it coming mm. it's that kind of balances it out i think and that helps take some of the mystery and then thus some of the fear out of it i think if you have a tendency to be a little bit more anxious even if you reduce your anxiety by five percent or ten percent mm. Perhaps that makes the entire process of thinking about personal safety a little bit more manageable. Mm. You know, we do incremental improvements, right? I know that I'm not offering a course that's going to take away all your anxiety if you happen to be paranoid or Mm. lean that way. But some means that's a little bit less stress or anxiety you have to deal with every day. Mm. And it was funny because I was teaching this not long after I got to the States along with the Muay Thai and it was funny because people were like, oh, you're a bit crazy, you, you know, you're one of those prepper types. And I kept thinking, well, no, 
I don't, at least I don't feel like I'm in that camp, but I feel like I acknowledge that the risk exists, mm. that it could, regardless of whether the fact that, you know, I'm a square English guy, it looks like it'd be difficult to move around, mm. that it could still happen to me. Yeah. And I knew a lot of guys in a lot of different military branches that were genuine, full on badasses who felt mm. the exact same way. Gotcha. So like just because you're a, a badass, you know, face to face in a fair fight doesn't mean that's how your attack's going to happen or whatever you're going to encounter is going to happen. It's probably not going to happen that way. Yeah. So it's just an acceptance that, okay, even though I have some skills and I have some uh, the ability to, to deal with a few things, that doesn't mean I'm impervious to the possibility. Mm. And it's just keeping that door open a crack on the possibility that allows us to think clearly without being clouded by stress and fear. Check. Gotcha. So it says, obviously, right now, there's a lot of things playing into those, that kind of fear, stress mentality, right? And um, so we're stuck indoors. Our experience of the, of the outside world a lot of the time is, is coming through social media and 24-hour news cycles yeah. that are telling us that everything's dangerous, that every yeah. protest is a potential riot, and every, you know, every person walking around the neighborhood is just getting ready for a home invasion to burgle you because everything's going to crap and everyone's, you know, the world is going to yeah. hell if you believe CNN and Fox News and everybody <laughs> on every end of the political spectrum, right? But you look out yep. the door and I'm like, yeah, actually, it's not that bad. You know, people seem to be behaving themselves for the most part like most of the protests are pretty nice they just like to focus in on the ones where people are setting fire to things for whatever reason and um and so it can be hard sometimes for people to judge what the genuine threat level is right and, and in response to this um i think people are going one of two ways it seems like some people always knew there was a bit of a threat there and when this started happening people like you and i started to try and do some sort of threat assessment like okay the country is going a bit nuts how is north carolina doing and how is raleigh doing how's durham doing you know and kind of going in again and uh, i had a guest on joe gare who's a you know israeli defense force and have contracted for many years talking about how to do those kinds of assessments in a really systematic way and just doing that a little bit can sometimes both reassure you and just kind of give you a realistic idea of what it is you need to do and i know when people were rushing out and clearing out the supermarkets or toilet roll and stuff you know already had a bunch of stuff you know in case of a hurricane or a power cut or something yep. not crazy prepper you know two years worth of food no. for the nuclear holocaust type prepper but you know mm -hmm. a month's worth of stuff so we didn't have to worry about it you know that much so i wasn't in that crowd of rushing out when it was first happening but i think what happens is a lot of people the threat doesn't seem to be there until it is like immediately and yes. then they're like oh i had no idea and it's because we i think True. most people live in this veil of perceived safety most of the time right we yep. didn't live like even up to 100 years ago not even paleolithic past when obviously yep. everything was dangerous and trying to eat you or stab you with pointy things all day long <laughs> but even up to 100 years ago there was no guarantee that your kids would make it to you know to teenage like most kids died in childhood so you had a bunch of them to kind of spread bet you know and mm -hmm. there was no guarantee you were going to keep getting food there were still famines there were like random diseases i mean talk about covid there was like a disease every single every three months going about that was pretty deadly most of the time, right? So it's now that yeah. we, we, we tend to think, oh, medicine has cured all the illnesses pretty much until you get really old and then you've got to start worrying about late onset things. And there's war, but it's in places that I can't pronounce far away that I don't go to, right? That I can look at yeah. on CNN and not have to worry about it. If you're not downrange and doing it yourself, yeah. you have the privilege of doing that. And so all the four horsemen, if you know, the pestilence and the, and the war uh -huh. and the famine, they, to, in the modern mind, they've, yeah, they've been taken care of. I live in a safe place right it doesn't happen that way but it's 
But it's not that case, right? And so to a lot of people now, they're waking up to that realization. They're like, oh, I could get ill. Oh, there could be like civil unrest where I am and this yep. stuff could kick off. Like, now what do I do? I'm not prepared for it. And they go one of two ways, denial or mm-hmm. paranoia and, and uh, extra preparation because they haven't got that balance yet in the middle. What, what advice can you give to people to try and kind of minimize the emotional aspect of what they're, they're feeling right now? <laughs> Minimize the emotional thing. Hmm. I, I think it's take it in one small step at a time. You don't have hmm. to prep for absolutely everything all at once. And I think that's part one of the reasons why anxiety ends up being as high as it is, is that once you start down the road, having never thought about it, hmm. what could happen, hmm. it opens the door on everything. And, hmm. and suddenly you realize, and just to put that in perspective, there was in my neighborhood, there was video of a guy going, house to house, caught on one of the, you know, people's various, the cameras they have now on the front porches and stuff. Yeah. And he was checking windows and peeking in through and also at two o'clock in the morning. Mm. Uh, my family, I'm, I'm not surprised. Am I sort of a little bit upset? Well, yes. I mean, but I already knew that kind of stuff was going on all the time. Mm. We didn't need a camera on a front porch to catch it. Mm. So I'm not shocked. My family's like, well, we don't worry about that because you've got the place on lockdown every night going through, you know, all those checks. But it's keeping everything in perspective. What's most likely? Mm. And then if you pick one, two or three things that you think, okay, these are the things I'm most likely going to encounter if it's going to be anything. And you start there Mm. and you put a few things in place. You don't Mm. go overboard. You don't go, I need nine months of toilet paper Mm. because you don't. Right. Yeah. You just, you say, okay, I need a month's worth or I need two months worth. Mm -hmm. If you do these small incremental steps dealing with the most likely instances, I think that you're going to have to encounter. And let's face it, even as a, as a person that goes off and teaches the dangerous individual stuff, it's more likely you're caught in a bloody house fire or a fire in your corporate building. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's more likely. Do you have a plan for that? Mm-hmm. Do you have a plan for getting out of the second story window of your home if it's on fire? Most people will say no. They don't mm-hmm. have one of those emergency ladders that goes to the window frame. Mm-hmm. I think there's the, that you've hit it on the head with most people feel that they live in a very safe place and that help is only a phone call away Mm. and because of that they think well once i've called they'll be instantly here Mm. and that and then whatever they're dealing with will be be taken away well what's the average response time in the country Uh, about seven to eight minutes Mm. which sounds really quick and let's face it it is compared to 80 years ago Mm. when when you started 911 in 1968 in the u.s Mm. so for a long time there was never a 911 but now we have a 911 that gives a sense of security You make that phone call, you've got eight minutes, theoretically, to Mm -hmm. deal with whatever is going on. What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? I talked to a a friend, a guy I met just the other day, and he's a former Green Beret. I think he was with uh, Second Group. And Mm. we were talking about house clearing individually. And he had arrived at his home and found the front door was open. His wife's like, oh, you get to pull your guns and go in and do all this. And he's a firearms instructor now, and he's had decades of experience. He's like, I'm not going in there. Mm-hmm. What are you, nuts? Mm-hmm. Because he knew room clearing or house clearing, even if you have all the skills in the world, is the most dangerous thing you could possibly do. And call the mm-hmm. police. Then a team of people arrive to clear the house. You know what I mean? So right. it's, it's keeping everything in perspective and knowing, okay, well, if this happens and these are the two or three most likely things, this is my plan. This and this and this, the next important thing is to share the plan with everybody else because it's mm. great if you know. Well, what if you go down? Right. You know, so and then share it with everybody else. 
Nice. But I think, yeah, for you and I and people like us, when stuff like the pandemic happens or when other things occur, hmm. hurricanes, tornadoes, we already have certain things already in place. So the shock's not really there. The anxiety doesn't, you know, get blown out of proportion. And it's being a little bit proactive with your steps for the manageable things and then maybe occasionally going, okay, I've got this taken care of. These three things are definitely on my to-do list and I've got them taken care of. I've got the plans in place. What are the next two or three things? And now start working on those. So that all the planning, the strategizing, the tools, the equipment, it's all done in manageable chunks. Nice. Brilliant. So can you can you tell people a bit more about um, about the, the training and who you offer it to and how they can get in touch with you if they're interested in receiving this kind of training? So it's called DIRT, right? That's the acronym, yep. D-I-R. Yeah. Sorry, from my DIRT, if you're American, so it's like <laughs> DIRT, if you're from where I am. So it's like <laughs> DIRT. Yeah, DIRT, Dangerous Individual Recognition Training. It started out as something that was just being taught to the people I was teaching to fight, and then it grew to corporate groups or hospital staff, particularly nurses who find themselves on the receiving end of a lot of this stuff. But I've taught everybody from circuit court judges to realtors and everybody in between. Mm -hmm. And it's really the body language coupled with how to be situationally aware in a in a proactive, non-paranoid way. But yeah, it's, it's a course that I love teaching. It's always funny because people say, well, let's just do 90 minutes. You know, mm -hmm. next next thing you know, it's a call. We listen, we want the seven hour course. We want the whole the whole Monty. Because mm -hmm. once people realize it's manageable and they can do it, they're like, well, come on in. Let's mm -hmm. have a go. But yeah, if anyone is interested in learning the entire course or having even a small version of it, it's tvempowers.com. tvempowers.com? Yep. Brilliant. And if you uh, can people get you on the web, uh, on the social media and that kind of stuff as well? You're on Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff? Or? Oh, yeah. We're on all of them. I've got all the social media links are on my website. That's just a great place to start. It's tvempowers.com. And then everything you might need to connect with me to either talk about anything to do with personal safety or follow on social media, they're all there. Brilliant. Nice one. Well, mate, I'm being mindful of your time. I know you're a busy individual and you've got lots of dangerous individuals to recognize throughout the day and stuff. But <laughs> thanks a lot. And I'll look forward to coming on the, on your show tomorrow, I believe, for the, right. uh, the election I... day. I'll be on TV and Powers Live. So we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll have another banter about something else there. So that'll be fun. Too. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on, mate. It's been great chatting. Oh, my pleasure, mate. See you again soon. See you, bud. Yes. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Sistema, please visit us online at www.ncsistema.com. <laughs>